Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. Thanks very much, Winnie, for uh, reading. Uh, my name's Jason. I'm one of the assistant ministers here. It's really good to be with you uh, this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, man doesn't live uh, by bread alone, you say in your word, but on, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We come to your word this morning, Heavenly Father, and humbly ask that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's easy to feel like an outsider. It's easy to feel like an outsider. When I was growing up, I grew up in a predominantly white area. We were the only black family living in a, a street uh, of white families, obviously. And, uh, and then uh, at school, I was the only black boy in a predominantly white school. It's easy to be, uh, feel like an outsider. And I guess in that situation, you got labeled. And uh, we were labeled, we were the black family. Now, that was right. I mean, we were the black family. I mean, that was a, a perfectly suitable label. But there's a way of labeling, isn't there, that um, is less about the person and more about pigeonholing people. It's them. It's the people like that, the, the black family, the, the women, the Americans. You know, that way of <laughs> labeling like that. But it can happen many ways. It's not just religious. It can be social, the place we live. It can be cultural, the people we talk to. It could be medical. Maybe we find ourselves depressed or suffering from some other condition. We just find ourselves kind of labeled. Or maybe it's because you are a, a woman and you don't get the job opportunities that you might if you were a man. And this is a problem that we see all around us in the world. The Children's Commission, I don't know if you saw that report a couple of weeks ago, uh, where they found that schools across this land are illegally excluding children uh, because of the labels that they've given them. And the barrister involved said that it was a symptomatic pattern of behavior rather than limited to a few bad apples. And as a society... We sense that that is wrong. We know that that is wrong. We take 
opportunities to try and deal with that. One of the ways we try and deal with that in our organizations uh, is the diversity programs. Have you come across these diversity programs at work? And I see some sort of uh, some smiles and some sort of slightly nervous shifts in their chairs. And they're good things, aren't they? But actually, there's a sense that we know this isn't really solving the real issue. And uh, Alwa Madawi in The Guardian said uh, just last week this. She said, look, these diversity programs, look, they're valuable. They're valuable for the people who are involved in them. And here's the, here's the key thing. She said, reducing inequality, reducing prejudice is something that needs to be tackled at root. And that's absolutely right, isn't it? You need to deal with these problems at the root. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus' death on the cross is the answer to Awa Madawi's problem. It's the answer that she's searching for. You see, we're in the middle of a, a series, or this is the last in a series, that's on the cross. And last week we saw that the cross solves the vertical problem we've got between us and God. We're not righteous. We need him to make us righteous. And he's done that as a free gift. That's what we saw last week. And this week we're looking at the, the horizontal problem that we have one with another. And we see how the cross resolves that problem. We start by the issue that is uh, in front of us in the text. And as you look down at verse 11, you'll see that there are two groups in view. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were being labeled. Have a look down at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. That was an appropriate label. You see, the Jews were God's people historically, and the, the Gentiles weren't. And the Jews were circumcised, the Gentiles weren't. But they've been labeled the uncircumcised, the Americans. It's kind of like that. They were labeled. I won't use Americans anymore. <laughs> but you get, you get what I'm saying. That was the issue. They were being... Labeled. But what we're going to see is that the cross, as I've said, the cross of Jesus Christ turns prejudice into peace. The cross of Jesus Christ turns people who are prejudiced against one another into people of peace. And there are three different pictures that Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter to the Ephesian church, uh, gives us that help us to understand that. Uh, you'll see a little outline on the back of this notice sheet that you're given that will help you uh, if you uh, want to follow that or take notes on the points I think will appear behind me. One nation of hope, one family of peace, one building of the spirit. Let's take them each in turn. So firstly then, one nation of hope. In other words, we are citizens of heaven if we put our trust in Jesus, who know God now and in the future. We're one nation of hope. Let's take it up again from verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles uh, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. As I've said before, there were two groups in biblical history, the Jews and the Gentiles, the insiders and the outsiders. And as you've seen from verse 12, to be an outsider was a desperate, desperate place to be. Let's look at it again. Separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, 
and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And just in case we haven't got the force of it, without hope and without God in the world, the future is bleak. I want to take you to uh, an image that I uh, saw recently of uh, the Dadaab camp in Kenya. The Dadaab camp in Kenya uh, is uh, a camp that has 9,000 people a week coming to it from Somalia. This camp is somewhere where you wouldn't go unless you had nowhere else to go. It's very windy, very hot. There is no food there. There's nothing there. And uh, a few of us were watching the story of this camp and how uh, five children, a mother, had made their journey from Somalia to uh, this camp. And along the way, two of the children uh, died and the husband was killed. The woman herself had polio. She couldn't walk, so the children had to drag her all the way uh, from Somalia to this uh, refugee camp in Kenya. There is a situation, as we saw this woman outside of uh, the camp, not even able to get herself water, that was without hope. Without hope. And the, the shock of verse 12 is that for anyone who didn't know God, who was a Gentile, that's most of us here, I take it, were in a spiritually similar situation. We were without hope. We were spiritual refugees. And you may say, as I walk around London streets, it doesn't feel like that, it doesn't look like that. And God in his kindness spares us from seeing the full reality, but he warns us, as he does here, that this is the situation. And one day, if we continue to live without Jesus Christ, then we will see that that is the reality that we live in. We're spiritual refugees without hope. But verse 13 tells us some very, very good news. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see, those who were outsiders have been made insiders through Jesus Christ. It's as if Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has come into the refugee camp. The ambassador from heaven has come in, has taken us across the border, has taken us through passport control, has walked up to the, to the front of the passport control office and has paid the price for a new passport for us in his blood so that we could be citizens of heaven so that we can have hope. Well, what is that hope? It's spelt out for us in uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Don't, don't uh, have to turn, but do take a note. It's an inheritance with God and a power so great that it's the same kind of power that Jesus raised people from the dead with that is at work in us now so that we can live for him. Isn't that incredible? An inheritance with the living God in the future and a power in us now that is the same as the power with which he raised people from the dead at work in us now. And it can be yours today. It can be yours today if you don't know that. You just have to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're someone here who does believe in Jesus Christ, will you remember the hopeless situation that you have been rescued from? Will you remember it? Because if you remember that, then the differences between us, they just fall away. Just if the differences between us just fall away if we realize that we've all been rescued from this hopeless situation. My dad uh, was recently traveling home from his home country where he lives. 
and um, he was on the plane, and after about an hour and a half in his journey back to London, he realized that something wasn't quite right. The plane was kind of going uh, up and down quite a few thousand feet in, in a short amount of time, and the seatbelt signs hadn't gone off, and the drinks hadn't been served. You know, everyone knew that something wasn't quite right. And then after about an hour and a half, uh, the, a message comes over the tannoy from the, the pilot, and the pilot says, we've got a bit of an issue with the plane. We've got an issue with the, the pressure, and... Um, We've got two options. Option one is we just carry on and see if we can sort it out uh, while we're going. Option two is we turn back and get a new plane. Now, I don't know how many times you've been on a plane and you've had a kind of ask the audience situation like that, but that's what happens on British West Indian Airlines. So, I, you know, just that's what happens on my dad's flight. And um, I guess that the people on the plane thought for about half a second and then unanimously decided... On balance, we'll turn back and uh, went back and, to cut a long story short, got a, a new plane and ended up in London safely. But my dad said, uh, as he reflects on this, that the atmosphere on that plane completely transformed. Not like anything that he'd been in before or since, because you see, all of these people together had been in a real fix. And when they realized that they'd been rescued from it, well, the differences between them, the differences that would have kept them sitting in their seats and not really speaking to anyone, blown apart, blown apart. And as you look around you now, the people who trust in Jesus Christ, the differences between you, they've been blown apart. The differences that really matter, they're gone. And so let us remember that we are one nation of hope. That's the first point. We're one nation of hope. But you may be thinking, well, this is a little bit, uh, isn't God a little bit arbitrary? Why is it that the Jews were his people for a time, and now he's just decided that the Gentiles are his people? Isn't this a bit of a fudge, what's happened here? And this next point shows us that it's not a fudge. He's dealt with the issue that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. He's dealt with the issue at root. Uh, we've become one family of peace. We're one family of peace. Have a look at verse 14. For he himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, the source of our peace, who has made the two, Jew and Gentile, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So do you see, here we get to the, the real issue. There's this barrier, this dividing wall of hostility. Now what is it? Verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The Jews, you see, had God's good law, laws that reflected his good character. And in order to be right with God, they had to follow, obey this good law. But the Gentiles, they didn't have that law. They had no access to it. But Jesus has done something to deal with this. So verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the law, comes up again in verse 16. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you see, at the cross, Jesus obeyed the law of God perfectly. The law of God is simply to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love one another, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he did that perfectly in a way that none of us ever can. And he, he did it even as people... Uh, put nails into his hands on the cross and spat on him and beat him. 
he obeyed that law. And you see, so at the cross, there was an amazing swap that happened. And so that if we trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, well then, he can see our law-breaking life. Well, he sees God's perfect law-keeping life instead of our law-breaking life. And we can be forgiven. This wall can be broken down. That's the message that Jesus preached in verse 617. It becomes clear. He came, Jesus Christ, and preached to you who were far away, that is the uh, Gentiles, and peace to you who were near, that is the Jews. That's the message, this message of the cross. Um, East and West Germany, 1989. Does anyone remember? Does anyone remember the... Some, I'm sure, I see one nod. Thank you, Ruth. I see there's one nod in the room. Uh, the, the year that the Berlin Wall came down. Communist East, Democratic West. Uh, in the East, the person in charge was a guy called Gunter Schabowski, and he was making a speech uh, to an assembled press conference. I don't quite know what it was about. And he got handed a piece of paper. And the piece of paper was from the, the judicial system of the land who had said that the regulations had been changed. The system had been abolished. Now it was possible to cross from east to west. And he, he announced this in this press conference that he was in. And this cacophony of noise came from the floor. When is this going to happen? And he said, with immediate effect. Now that was supposed to be German. It sounded more like Dalek to me, but it was supposed to be German. And you know what happened afterwards. You know, people ran to this wall and they... Um, they, they the guards didn't know what was going on. Eventually, they had to let people through, and people got pickaxes and began uh, decimating the wall, and eventually the, the bulldozers came in and took the rest of it away. And all the while, people from the West met people with the East with champagne and flowers and rejoicing. Soon, it was a, a unified country, wasn't it? And Jesus, Jesus Christ, well, he's like the judge who made the decision that the wall would come down, the spiritual dividing wall of hostility would come down. He's like the prime minister who announces that that wall is going to come down. He's at the cross like the bulldozer who removes, removes every last trace of that wall so that the barrier between us is broken down, unified. And the shock in verse 18, for those who were Jews, is that through the cross... Both have access to the Father by one spirit. It comes again in verse 16, actually. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God at the cross. It's not that there's a two-track system. It's not that the Jews had one way and the Gentiles had another way. The Jews needed priests to forgive them. They never could keep the law. God was still distant, even as they tried to. But now they both have access to the one God through one spirit. Do you see that the differences that matter between us have been destroyed? And if the differences that matter between Jew and Gentile have been destroyed, how much more the differences between the person sitting next to you who trusts in Jesus Christ? How much more? How much more? And yet we're very, very good at making new regulations. Racism is alive and well in London. And uh, looking down on people because of the job they have is alive and well in London. And looking down at people because of their circumstances and because of their health and because of a whole number of other things is alive and well 
in London, is it not? I had dinner with someone the other day, and I mentioned an article that I'd read in the New Statesman, which is a, a political magazine, left-leaning. I don't even read it every week. I'd read one issue, one article. I mentioned this to this man, and his, his face just dropped, and he said, um, I don't understand how anyone could read that magazine. And that was, that was the end of the conversation. We couldn't go any further as far as he was concerned. But do you see that if the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, the, the God's holy law, if that's been met and destroyed, how much more the differences between us here? Let me give you a, a, a practical example of this. Uh, I met my now wife at this church, and when we first met, I thought that, that the relationship wasn't going to go anywhere. And the reason was that uh, Rachel loved potatoes, and I didn't really. Um, you see... You see, I'd grown up. I'd grown up eating rice, and you know that was our staple in our home. But potatoes, potatoes with potatoes with chicken, potatoes with vegetables, potatoes everywhere. I just thought this, this just, this just can't go anywhere. But you know what? I then realised. I then realised that um, you know she loves Jesus, and actually that's it's probably more important than the fact that she really likes potatoes. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous. But that's the point. It's ridiculous. Actually, if we, if we understand what's happened in Christ rightly, well then the differences between us are ridiculous. Why would you use those to divide you? The difference that really matters, being able to meet God's holy standard, it's been destroyed. It's been destroyed. We are one family of peace. You see, we're one body, verse 16, one new family of peace. But third little thing, how central is all of this to being a Christian? Isn't just loving Jesus enough? You know, I mean, how, do I really have to make all of this effort with other people? It's hard, isn't it? Answer, yes. And it's a privilege. It's a real privilege. Look, our final point, uh, one building of the Spirit. The church is God's house under construction. Have a look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is a bit of a summary of what we've seen so far, isn't it? Uh, No longer foreigners and aliens, one nation, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, one family. But then it moves on to building language. Have a look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone. We're built on the teaching of the Bible, uh, these teachings which come ultimately from Jesus Christ himself. That's what it's built on. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. So this foundation of the Bible is building these people up together into a holy temple. And you, in him, you too, verse 22, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are being built into a worldwide church uh, in which God is in the midst of. I'm pretty bad at DIY. I don't know how you get on at DIY. Um, I've only got about three things in my house that I'm proud of, really. One is the shelf in um, the kitchen. One is the, the shelf in my eldest daughter's room. 
fact, there are only two things, really. There's two things. And whenever I see them, I remember with great fondness in my heart the labour and the effort and the special care I took into making those shelves. I make sure that nothing happens to them. I make sure they're safe and looked after and, and so on. I mean, because, you know, I did that. Um, and do you see that we are the DIY project of the living God himself? Do you see that? Verse 22, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are a DIY project of God himself. We're like shelves in his house. To use the language of, of the passage uh, from the end of verse 20, we're, we're stones in his building. What a privilege that is. That's what we're meant to be. A shelf is no use if it's just sitting on the floor in the packet. A brick is no use if it isn't part of the building. You cannot be a healthy Christian and not be part of a local expression of this. I meet people every day, practically, who tell me this. I'm a Christian, but I don't belong to a church. It's nonsense. It's part of what God intends to do for his people, to build them into a local expression of this. Look, let me get uh, practical, really practical for a moment. Firstly, just to say, we fail, don't we? I mean, there's the elephant in the room. If maybe you're here and you're not yet a Christian and you're listening to all of this, you're thinking, well, we, we fail. Churches fail to live like this. Uh, and more than that, we look at big examples of failure. We think of Rwanda. We think of uh, apartheid and how the church has failed to live like this supremely. I spoke with someone just on Thursday who said to me, look, the reason I don't go to church is because of the hypocrisy in it. And I'm sure we can all think of examples of that. Well, let me just say this, that as people who belong to the church, we, we don't claim to be perfect. In fact, the whole point of the cross is that we put our hands up and say we need Jesus Christ to rescue us because we're so far from being perfect but we say sorry for when we mess up and we ask for his forgiveness for the new day. We're far from being perfect. And yet we live in the wake of the 20th century, the most violent in human history, and most of the bloodshed was not shed uh, because of religious uh, wars and persecution. It was shed because of uh, secular regimes. But let's uh, move on from that and uh, look at three things, four things that are just on the bottom of your sheet there, four practical things to remember as we sum up. If you trust in Jesus Christ, then the God of the universe says that you are an insider. He says that you are an insider. It may be that you have, um, for various reasons, felt like an outsider. You've been labelled in some way. You find yourself on the margins of things. You're not accepted in whatever sphere, family, home, work, church. I don't know what it would be for you. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, will you know, will you know again afresh today that you are an insider? You know, when I was growing up, I, I was um, a bit of a geek, really, um, and uh, I, I guess I did quite well at school, but I was rubbish at sports, and I, I wasn't particularly you know, the, the person that everyone liked and loved at school. And I wish someone had just taken me aside and said, do you know what, Jason? If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're an insider 
in the most important family that matters. I wish someone had said that to me. That's the first thing. Look, the second thing, if, if you know that you're a work in progress, if you know that in terms of your relationship with other people, that you fail like I do, well then, let us try and be peacemakers and bridge builders. Let us try and be peacemakers and bridge builders. This is really trying to put into practice where Ephesians is, is taking us to, which is chapter 4 and verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Will you do that? Be a peacemaker. Don't let bad feeling linger between you and anyone else in the church. There's someone here, I didn't expect them to be here today actually, but there was someone here who said some words that I was very grateful for some years ago. I, I came in and I was, I was talking about someone who I was having a hard time with at church and um, they listened to my, my whining and my story and they said after a while, will you just say sorry? Will you just say sorry? And um, they weren't saying that I needed to ignore the fact that someone else had done me wrong. They, they weren't saying that. What they were saying was, do what you can to take the initiative to sort it out. Because we're to be people of peace. So can I say to you today, if you have a grudge against someone else in this church, if there is someone for whom you have bad feeling against, then do not leave this building without sorting it out. It may be you've got to put your... It may be that you've got to say to someone as they turn to you and start having a chat, look, sorry, I've just got to, I've got to go and do something first. Maybe you've got to get the mobile phone out to go outside and make a call. Whatever you have to do, will you be a peacemaker? And don't let those things continue. We're to be a people of peace. It may be that you don't have a grudge against anyone in the church, and yet we're to be bridge builders too. When you come to church Sunday by Sunday, we have decisions to make. Because the easy thing is to um, start talking to someone and you give them 30 seconds and then you think, right, now I've really got to get to the person that I really want to speak to. Will you choose not to do that today? Will you choose not to do that from now on? Be a bridge builder. Because, you know, in the course of time, in the best families, you make an effort not to neglect your brother and sister. Don't you do that? Are there people here that you've never met? Make today the day that you speak to one of them. At least be a bridge builder. And finally, uh, be a rememberer. Because verse 11 and verse 12, uh, Paul makes it very clear that, that the people he's writing to, they know these truths. They're not new to them. But he says, remember. Remember. And when the Bible uses that word, remember, it's not um, talking about merely memorizing things. It's saying, would you be moved in your soul by the truths that uh, we hear in the Bible? Will you find ways of making the crisis that we've been rescued from come alive in your heart? Will you do that? We are all from the same refugee camp spiritually, and we've been rescued. We've all been in the same depressurized cabin and we've been rescued from it. Would you do that so that inside the church and outside the church we would be known as people who treat each other with gentleness and respect? Reducing inequality is something that needs to be tackled at root. 
And Jesus Christ, the ambassador of the universe, has given us a new passport. Jesus Christ, the divine bulldozer, has smashed through the most important barrier between people in this world. Jesus Christ, the master builder, has made us bricks in his building, shelves in his house. And it is him and his cross that turns prejudice into peace. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you that when we were far away, you've brought us near. That when we were separated by the dividing wall of hostility, you've destroyed it. That where we were many individualistic households, you have made us into one spiritual house. We pray that with your help, we would rejoice in what you've done through the cross and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, that your name and your fame might be glorified in us, in this church, and in London, and in the world. And we pray it for Jesus' sake.